try to get it in there. That's what she's a. Uh, we had a in-person review from Tyler, yes. real estate mogul Tyler, who sold Vance's house. He said he loves the Ponzi episodes. Really? Yeah. Fuck yeah. I was talking to him the other day. Wait, how the hell did you meet his real estate agent? Oh, I, I hooked him up with the deal. I hooked him up with the real estate agent. I hooked Vance oh. up. I'm out here I'm out here trying to make people's lives better. If I can help somebody <laughs> sell a house, right. I can help put one of my boys in a house, I'm all about it. Maybe you're in the wrong business. Maybe that's what's going on here. Dude, well, you should be a Chris Lindahl agent. <laughs> Ugh, that dude's a scumbag. I would love to see your face fucking everywhere airplanes oh my trains, god buses. i would jerk off when i'm driving when i see you on a billboard <laughs> is he go on the radio too oh yeah well oh yeah but i don't think it's his voice i feel like it's no it's him is it him yeah no okay. he city pages did an article he spends almost a million dollars a month advertising Whoa. well it's got to be paying off maybe i hope if he can Actually, keep I that advertising budget up like yeah it's fucking working chris lindahl i hate you but we <laughs> will run your ads if you're willing to put hey, some of that marketing not, budget here i was gonna say let's not say we hate him maybe he'll put like a little tiny bumble butt thing on his sign listen we could be chris or the uh, bumble butt podcast broadcasting from the uh chris lindahl basement perfect <laughs> the chris lindahl basement studios here in sunny west St. Paul. yeah it's as far from sunny as you can get right now it's... man it was sunny today it was just real windy and like four degrees dude when i this morning i got up to snow below like uh the sidewalks mm-hmm. and that wind felt like yeah. fucking razor blades on my oh, face yeah. Yeah. and it, ugh, i hate that more it's weird the day this week like thursday when it was actually Actually, negative seven didn't feel as cold as it did today. Yeah, which it's allegedly like twenty degrees out. I I don't I see mean, it. I was I all buy. working in that negative seven shit. So, it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I though. mean, if it would have been windier, it would have yeah. been fucking terrible. Much like usual in this state. The weather reporting is always wrong, so it wasn't negative 50 wind chills like they were expecting, and it wasn't 14 inches of snow like they were telling us. I was so. going to say, do you guys consider yesterday a blizzard? No. Uh, I'm going to say yes, just because of like how fast and how hard it hit. I mean, yeah. Because it, it took it, me from like downtown St. Paul to downtown Minneapolis on the freeway. She was mm. four inches. And I noticed that shit like... I was in St. Paul, and I was like, oh, the roads are fine. The storm's not here. And when I got to Minneapolis, I was like, okay, this is a plowable amount of snow. The best part about the quote-unquote blizzard yesterday, because I had my tattoo appointment, and um, because people are scared to go outside, I actually found a parking spot. Oh, So I was yeah. happy about Hell that. Yeah. They're all at home, and I can actually park uh, yeah. in a lot. Usually I can't. It's funny because where his shop is, like... Oh, dude, it's just such a clusterfuck there. Oh, it is. But the Trader's Joe's has underground parking, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there watching people get stuck at, like, the very top <laughs> of it from the snow. <laughs> you got Soccer Mom in the minivan spinning her wheels at top, like... Uh, yeah. Apparently was 52 was a nightmare. I didn't take that over here. Uh, I took it for a brief stretch from my mom's and yeah i know where it's the actual lafayette bridge is just 
a hockey rink. Sure. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Even on 94, there's just long, like, quarter-mile stretches where if you turn your wheels at all, you're going 180 degrees mm. and slamming into the fucking side well, I, wall. I can say 35 was okay. It was fine. It was decent. Yeah, not not much, not too much ice. There's a lot of people going really slow, but yeah. not. It wasn't too much ice. Even the streets aren't even really that. Uh, bad. Side streets yeah. are okay now. Yeah, but uh, they could use some salting, I think. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, your Minnesota traffic report. Thank you very much. Uh, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast. Yuck yuck. The only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me this week first is Jordan. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, bud. How are you? I heard <laughs> that you worked in the cold, but you didn't work today, eh? Uh, no. Good job. Uh, boss called it off because of the snow. I thought I was going to be working till about 4.30 or so, or like 2 or something like that today. Looking forward to getting some overtime hours, but that did uh, not work out. Oh, yeah, you get OT now, right? Yes. Nice job. Well, I mean, I've always gotten OT. But oh, did you? Yeah. Time and a half, too? Even yeah, it's just job? a matter of, uh, at my last job, if the boss actually had the work for us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now you have more stable employment. Very stable employment. Oh, I wasn't right. sure if you still had to do Saturdays or not with your new job. I don't know if you've ever I don't that. have to, but I'm going to start doing it just you know, to add, you know, oh, yeah. four or five extra hours onto the check and, you know, put some money away and whatnot for the baby. As you say, you got a miscreant on the horizon, mm-hmm. so yes. you're going to need some cash. And, mm-hmm. and we find out what we're having on Tuesday. Uh-oh, so, find out what kind of flavored bun it is. I was, I was going to literally reply to your wife's little Instagram thing saying, do you want a boy or a girl? I was just going to say, I want a bass. That's all I care about. <laughs> if Four a bass strings. came out of there with little fox ears, I'd be so mm, happy. Beautiful. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good. Jordan, good job. Uh, go. Also with me, Cody. Hello. Hello. How was your week? Uh, not too bad. It kind of drug along, but it was uh, it was fine. I'm kind of, uh, I think this is probably, what, the worst week? Probably this week and next week will be the worst weeks of winter, and then finally... It'll slowly die off. No, we're going to get fucking slammed in late February. Look. I know it. Look. My memory of that time is, yes, it snows, but it's not, like, cold. Dude, I remember last year, like, mid to late February was our big polar vortex where it was, like, five days of... You know, negative seventy <laughs> mm-hmm. fucking wind chill. Mm-hmm. If I never have to, hear and I that work fucking... during that bullshit. Ugh, if I never, I will be so happy if I don't have to hear that goddamn phrase. I heard it all summer and everything, so I'm yes, not. Listen, it's not going anywhere. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. I'll say it because I had to set up fucking forty, fifty foot tall scaffolding in the middle of that shit. Well, you know what? Maybe you probably won't have to do that this year. No, probably I, not. I know there I won't. won't. Be able to vortex. <laughs> well, even if there is, uh, I'm not in that same industry anymore. That's right. So you should just role play your Randy Quaid from the day after tomorrow, and then you're fine. <laughs> You'll survive anything. Dude, I like the meme that was going around yesterday or thursday where it was the day after tomorrow <laughs> like movie cover where everything's covered in snow yeah. and they just crossed it out so it said tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> that movie's on hbo right now i i didn't mind it i i've saw it quite a few times yeah, that's all right it'll get it's the job right. oh i finally saw the ring 
Ooh, the uh, the American one. Yeah. Okay. It's scary? really good. No, I thought it would be scarier. Okay, I think now you need to watch the uh, Japanese one free on YouTube. And oh. then, and then compare which one you like better. I, the American one, I think, is clearly better. I've but. heard that, too, so I don't know if I'm going to watch Ringu. <laughs> I might just be fine with uh, Naomi Watts' performance. Man, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, watch The Lighthouse. I, you know what? That is so far on my fucking radar. I need to watch that. I wanted to rent it today, but... Literally last night, I woke up at 1 in the morning, couldn't get back to sleep. I watched Annihilation, which I was telling, asking Adam about, and then like 4 o'clock this morning, I fell asleep, woke up at 7, and I was like, you know what, I'm not leaving the fucking house, so I, my whole day was shot. Right. So, uh, so you didn't rent the lighthouse because no. you didn't leave the house? Correct. But that seems very ass backwards. Can't you rent it on the TV? Yeah, but why would I pay... Seven dollars to rent it when I can get it from Redbox for two dollars. Oh, you're a Redbox guy. Uh, yeah, I I know it's it's I I, I don't mean know. either way. Like everyone knows, I don't watch movies and shit. Me and Amy made it a point to watch that one. It's so fucking good. okay. And now we're gonna get into the episode. Yep. Okay, we're gonna pick that up on between the bumbles. So I have a lot of questions. Well, boys, that sure was fun. Hell yeah. Let's get into the meat and potatoes <laughs> of this episode. The finale of Charles Ponzi. Uh, can I make a confession quick before I start here? I'm ready. I've We've done so many episodes, and the very end of this actually made me very sad. What? So what? I, I don't know. I don't know. You'll Once we get there, I don't know. It made me really sad. Obviously, the book had a lot more detail than I'm going to tell. Yeah. But it is just, it's a sad. And when we get done, we have to build our Mount Rushmore, okay? Yeah, yeah. So certainly. after that, that's going to be the conclusion. But anyway, let's get into Here's, it here. Uh, I've always thought, just based on the first three episodes that this was going to end tragically or be a tragic tale. Because I yeah. feel for Ponzi. I always feel for him. I know. He's, he's just trying to do right by himself, right by his family. <laughs> and right by himself again. <laughs> as long as he, I mean, he gets to enjoy being very rich for like six months. So, yeah. you know, hey, man, That's more than most of us get. <laughs> True. I've gotten zero so far. <laughs> now. As we spoke about last episode, how exactly did the furniture store owner, jo- Joseph Daniel, start the downfall of Ponzi? Right, right, right. Well, as time passed, Joseph Daniels took notice of how successful Ponzi's business had became, and being that Daniels was ostensibly his first client, albeit in- unintentionally, Daniels figured Ponzi owed him big time, so Daniels filed a million-dollar loss claiming that he deserved half of the ownership of Security Exchange Company. Oh, so now obviously this lawsuit probably wasn't going to give Daniels a million dollars, but what it did do was freeze up about seven hundred thousand dollars of Ponzi's funds. Holy shit! Which was really troublesome for Ponzi because he needed that money to pay back his investors. Oh, yeah. They get nervous real quick. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other thing it did was drew the attention of the press. 
the Boston Post would post a little story about a Boston man being sued for $1 million. Great headline. <laughs> which obviously would prompt an interview with Ponzi, mm. but with his charming demeanor, he was basically able to play the victim card. Mm -hmm. And it actually worked for the most part, mainly because they couldn't locate Daniels for his side of the story. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. <laughs> now, while Ponzi was calm and collected with the press, internally he was sweating because he already had the Postal Union and police kind of keeping an eye on him. But this story did have one unintended coincidence that Ponzi didn't mind, and that was when he had a two-day run of investors who were spooked by the story and wanted to collect their investments. Like any smart people would. Of course, they would have to forfeit that 50% interest, <laughs> which for Ponzi was perfectly fine because that just kind of cleared off his debt a little right, bit. Right, right. Now, while there were plenty of his investors collecting their money's money early, Ponzi's company was was still taking in about one million dollars a week at this point. God Holy damn. shit! Ooh, he's doing just fine for himself. And only seven. Well, when you said seven hundred thousand dollars would be frozen up, I was like, well, that's gonna fuck with his operations for a bit. But not if he's clearing a million dollars a week. Yeah, no shit. That. That freezing amount's going to come more into the picture later on. Okay. Once we, you'll see. It's going to be just enough to not pay out interest or some <laughs> shit. Yeah, like I'm basically. sure. I'm sure. So to combat Daniels, Ponzi would hire a very renowned lawyer named Frank. Le I think it's Leveroni. 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 <laughs> you know, it's like that seesaw pasta. If you could order a Leveroni pizza, would you guys do it? Yeah, I'd do it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it right now. <clears throat> if it ends in Oni, I'm guessing it's a, a good cured meat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Leveroni just wanted to settle this case out of court, but Daniels thought he could be getting big money out of Ponzi. In addition to the lawyer as an additional layer of defense, Ponzi began to remove his funds from his banks and shift them around or... Open up new accounts under aliases. Hey man, you have to. It's tough to like just keep that kind of cash around. So you oh, gotta, yeah. you it's gotta move out. it around. It's hard out there for a pimp. <laughs> Absolutely. The thing that's funny is he opens up an account under woman's name. Perfect. So like, do they not ask no who the hell suspect it? <laughs> Maybe do they it's not be of, like, who is this person? Maybe one of his secretaries does it for him or something. Could you know? be. It's funny. I didn't list the aliases, but one of them literally was like a nickname for his secretary. Really? So maybe she did it <laughs> yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah. What's your name? Sweetie Smith. <laughs> Another thing Ponzi realized is that he needed to either try to move Security Exchange Company into a legitimate business or <laughs> come up with some news, new business ideas. Listen, I either got to go legit or <laughs> I got to rip people off in new inventive ways. <laughs> now, his first idea was to get deeper into banking, perhaps invest more money into banks and try to gain complete control of them. Is that how banks work? I think so. Back oh. then. Now, his plan was... He would shift all of his deposits into one bank, raising the stock price, and then causing the other bank's stock to fall. Yeah. Okay. Then he would purchase a bunch of stocks for the bank that had fell and shift his funds back into that bank to raise the stock price up again. Yeah, this is pretty... 
pretty sure. pretty stock standard uh, <laughs> yeah. manipulation. Stock. Yeah. Manipulation. I, I feel like that's illegal, but it I is. could it's be wrong. certainly federally illegal. Nineteen twenty is it illegal? I, believe I mean, would, it that, is also. would that be like insider trading? You're purposely tanking an industry to to buy the. F- Buy the pieces and get the controlling interest. Of the <laughs> well, bank. you for sure knew. No, he he stole this idea from the Ice King. Remember him? Oh, right. Or he yeah, was doing right. that. Yes. So Ice King's on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> the second idea he had was to purchase a fleet of ships okay. from the U.S. government. <laughs> Because the Great War okay. was now over. I want those battleships. <laughs> E-5, motherfucker. <laughs> the U.S. had a fleet of ships that they were selling off. While the fleet was worth about $2 billion because they had no use for them, Ponzi figured he could buy them all for the discounted price of $200 million. What is the, what is that, a 10% of what it, they're going for? He, is that yeah, true? I think so. Yeah. 90% discount on okay. there, baby. Uh, All right. I mean, it, I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. government would do that, if well, I'm being completely I, honest. They, if, if somebody shows up with $200 million cash, you're going to take that yeah. out the door. Yeah. Now, his plan was to take said ships and travel around the world selling goods. His main idea was that one of his ships would pull into a port and draw merchants aboard to purchase items they were selling aboard the ship. That was based... I mean, I don't even know what you'd call that, but... Like a traveling ship caravan? Kind of, yeah. The merchant marines? (laughs) Is Is that a thing? Well, they're they're just like the people that served aboard merchant ships. Basically, my understanding of it was he would load the ship up with goods, pull into a port. People who were like business owners or whatever in whatever location they were stopping at would yeah. purchase them and then sell that in their stores. Right. So he would be like the wholesaler. Basically, He's yes. like the Amazon of the sea. <laughs> it, I, for some reason, all I could think about was the fucking guy from uh, Waterworld. The guy no. from Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's selling all his goods on there. I love it. <laughs> but obviously there's one big problem. He didn't have $200 million yet. Oh. And that was going to take a little bit of time to build up. About but it, 200 weeks. I mean, if you think about his growth, yeah. a million dollars a week within, uh, what are we at, like five months, six months here. So... You know, another month or two might be five million. You're absolutely right. So yep. that's growing really quick. Maybe he could get a loan for it too. I don't know. But anyway, now while the Post's first story didn't exactly hurt Ponzi in the least bit, it would draw the attention of a man named Richard. I hope it's Grozier. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So I'm going to tell a real quick synopsis of Richard Grozier here, real quick. Tell me a Richard Grozier story. So remember how I told you about Edwin Grozier, who learned from, uh, was it Pulitzer? Yes, yes. And then he opened the post. Now Richard is his son. Okay. Now his son is basically a complete fuck up. There's like four chapters in the book strictly about how Edwin was trying to convince the deans of the colleges that Richard, who is failing all his studies, should stay in college. Because he wanted his son to be as successful as he is. Of course. So when Richard uh, Grozier has a real big boner with Ponzi and destroying him, it's like his way of earning his father's good favor. That's what it's so. Ponzi is like his linchpin to proving to his father that he's not a complete 
waste of air or whatever. Like when Junior went to war with Saddam for Senior. <laughs> Is he dead too? Who? Saddam, Saddam Hussein Junior? No, George no. Junior. Oh. To... God, you're a fool. <laughs> Fucking a, Cody. <laughs> I don't know. I figured Saddam had sons. Saddam's sons were named Uday and Kuse, and they were killed by us. Were they? Yeah. I heard they tortured a lot of people. They did. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's what I'd always heard. Now, Richard was sent out some reporters who work for the Post to dig a little deeper into Ponzi and to find out if there was, in fact, something funny going on with his business. But as no surprise, this was going to take a lot of time to find out the truth. Mm. There was another big problem headed straight for Ponzi, and that was Governor Calvin Coolidge. Are you saying future President Calvin Coolidge? Correct. Mm. Now, after Coolidge had squashed the police strike of 1919, he set his aim at the financial corruption he believed was festering all around Massachusetts. So he appointed a man named Joseph C. Allen to be the new banking commissioner to take the lead because it seemed like the previous banking commissioner, Augustus L. Thorndike, would rather enjoy dinners and probably payouts from bankers than actually try to investigate them. Hmm. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, that's they're bankers, you know? <laughs> you you going to take me money. to fucking Manny's and give me 100 Gs? <laughs> yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Yes. So basically, you've just destroyed your chances of becoming the Minnesota banking uh, commissioner, Jordan. Well, I'm not smart enough to be it in the first place, so you just yeah. have to take bribes and enjoy dinners. That's all it requires. And well, not in that case, that I just do. affirmed that I'm good at it. <laughs> but you admitted it. You have to have candor, Jordan. <laughs> so obviously the name Charles Ponzi and Security Exchange Company rose some immediate red flags. There's some heat on those two, <laughs> on those two properties right now. On July 15, 1920, Allen learned that Ponzi had purchased an abundant amount of stocks with Hanover Trust and figured, maybe we better talk to this guy. Mm -hmm. So they invited Ponzi to the state house to have a little meeting with him. So Joseph C. Allen and two assistant attorney generals named Albert Hurwitz and Edwin <laughs> Abbott Jr. <laughs> would all attend the meeting with Ponzi. So Ponzi dressed up in his snappy fashion and proceeded to the meeting with the utmost confidence. Hell yeah. He would detail for the men that he had simply been making money via the international reply coupons using fluctuating currencies to his advantage. Exactly. This yeah. isn't... Uh, I haven't done anything illegal, <laughs> sir. The Postmaster General may try and make it sound as if I've done something illegal, but this is pretty not. on the up and up. <laughs> it's funny. It's all about the game mm -hmm. and how you play it. Mm -hmm. It's funny because they probably don't even <clears throat> know anything about these coupons, but they're like, hmm, that sounds yeah. fucking great. We can look into this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's... Hey. Hey. It's like in baseball. You know how there's unwritten rules? Yeah. If they were so important to keeping everything moving, you should write down those rules. <laughs> yep. You should make them real rules. What's my favorite unwritten rule? If you hit one of our hitters, we have to hit one of your hitters. Yeah. That's well, my blood favorite. for blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter for snacks that we just, we have to hit them. Yeah. It's just, you're going to have to take it. Buddy. Baseball players are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are. but they get paid a lot of money. Yes, they do. Was there someone who got a $4 million contract or $5 million contract? 
That is tiny for baseball. Yeah, that's very small. Is it really? Yeah. Holy yeah. Fuck. Bryce Dallas Harper just got a billion, million, trillion dollars. No, no, way. Bryce Harper's contract, uh, it's not – so he signed – I can't remember who signed right after him but topped him. But no, Bryce Harper's was – oh, I think it was – Four hundred and thirty-four million over four years, Jeez. guaranteed no. every single penny. And then the dude who signed after him topped him by like ten million a year, guaranteed. It was like five something over four. I wanna, it was just insane. I was talking about this. Why is it basketball players and uh, baseball players who? probably are the least injured or have the least chance of being injured get paid so much but football players and hockey players are like because there's no salary cap in baseball well i I mean basketball they pay them a lot too those guys get hurt all the time for some reason yeah basketball like there's injuries that happen like but but i'm saying that's like they're all non-contact so they're worse than you think they are like they just take one wrong step on like a hard stop on something to try and fake someone out and guess what you're blowing out your acl and your mcl you know what i think would be a billion dollar idea to make non-squeaky shoes oh. i think that would draw in a larger audience if oh. we could make non-squeaky i don't know there's shoes. something nice about the squeaky shoes in basketball <laughs> i kind of like it i'm not gonna lie it's like the skate it's like the skate sounds in hockey yeah that's true now while ponzi was able to use his charisma to swoon the men they informed him they would still be doing a formal investigation oh. into security exchange company. Oh. I mean, he tried. <laughs> it was funny because Ponzi actually told those men, hey, why don't you come invest in my company? <laughs> he told the two attorney generals. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, come on, come on, invest some money. They're like, no, 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 we're okay. <laughs> but anyway, they were going to invest, investigate uh, Ponzi's large bank accounts mainly with uh, Tremont Trust and Hanover Trust. So they would begin with sending banking examiners to look a little deeper into his accounts. Oh, no. Now, Tremont Trust vice president was Simon Swig, who we've mentioned in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Swig being the man who had effectively evicted Ponzi from his first office. Right. With the bank now being investigated, Swig wasn't really happy because he was so shady himself. <laughs> On top of that... Ponzi claimed that Swig also just didn't like Italians. He said, He was of the opinion that a Jew was better than a Wop. I could not agree with him. In my own mind, nothing could be better than a Wop, except the two Wops. Jesus. I love that quote so much. It's so fucking funny. That's solid. So Swig would send Ponzi this letter. If what we have heard about your plan of business is true, then certainly we do not care to accept your deposits, no matter how large they may be. And even if reports are untrue, we do not care to accept future deposits because you have taken unfair advantage in using our name as you have. We therefore advise you that henceforth your deposits will not be accepted and you will favor us by closing your account. I don't think he likes Italian. I'm just going to say yeah. that. Mr. Swig prefers Jews to Wops. I think yes. we can we can all agree there. Yep. 
And so Ponzi removed his $400,000 that he had with Traymond Trust, leaving $185,000 that was still frozen because of the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Apparently that really Mm -hmm. pissed Swig off because he couldn't physically take that money because it was frozen. He's like, I can't have any, I can't cut ties with you completely. (laughs) So Ponzi took his money to Hanover Trust, who weren't about to, turn away that large of a deposit even though they were being investigated themselves and isn't didn't he just buy controlling interest of hanover trust he's got 40 percent. he's okay. the uh board of or was it director of the bank or something yeah, like that director of the board he's got controlling share correct although they did request he put even more money as security against the examiners so he gave them a 30-day certificate oh worth $1.5 million. Not with his goddamn IOUs oh again. God. It's it's funny because that that's going to come up later in the story. And it's like this piece of paper to them is worth the $1.5 million yeah, for some they reason. they believe it. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. So with the extra heat, he also decided to hire a publicity man named William McMasters. So he hired a hype man. <laughs> He hired the best he name. He hired Flavor Flav. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> William McMasters. I kind of wish... McMasters! I kind of wish my last name was McMasters. It's a sweet last name. That is a fucking sweet name. <laughs> it is a powerful name. Now, McMasters used to actually work for the Boston Post. And on July 24th, 1920, seemed to get Ponzi the fluff piece that we heard in the very beginning of the saga. Mm. That was because of McMasters. Mm. Now, if you notice from part one, there was zero mention that Ponzi was being investigated. At least until the following day, <laughs> when the July 25th edition of the Post published a very different story about Ponzi. Oh, no. This time, the main headline spoke of Ponzi's rival next door, Old Colony Foreign Exchange Company, and how the police had been called to investigate them. It also mentioned that Ponzi was in the middle of a federal investigation Hmm. to see if there is any merit to his international reply coupon empire. (laughs) Side note, in that exact same newspaper, there was a story... All about Dr. Sergey Varnov <gasps> talking about his success with implanting chimpanzee testicles in a human. Welcome oh my god. Back. That, that is sweet. Oh fuck yeah. They actually put that in the book. I was like, holy fuck. That's connected to Dr. Frankly. Can, That's amazing. I can't <laughs> believe we've got uh, a crossover. We're all Holy in the same shit. cinematic universe. We, we seem to tread in the early 1900s quite a bit, so yeah. we probably get a lot of crossover. <laughs> I think so. Now, in, in regards to his old rivals in Old Colony and the somewhat bad publicity, Ponzi thought if he could prove Old Colony was nothing more than simple crooks, it would turn the tides. And make him look like the sword of justice, and her earn him some sympathy in the public side. Oh, public turn size. that table! Turn that table! That's very smart of Hell him. Hell yeah! But oh my gosh, just become the victim. <laughs> I fought the crooks of That's old Connie. Oh. I am the savior of Come Boston. Come to security, securities exchange. <laughs> but. The Post was far from done with Ponzi. Mm. The next day, they would talk to a man named Clarence Walker Barron, who was the father of financial journalism, asking him for some professional advice. The following Monday, the the headline read, 
Baron says reply coupon can be worked only in a small way. Hmm. The story read, No man of wide financial or investment experience would look twice at a proposition to take his money upon a simple promise to pay it back with 50% (laughs) increase in three months. If Mr. Rockefeller, the richest man in the world, should offer even 50% for money and be found to be putting his own money into 5% bonds, there would be not much money offered to him by financial people. There is now probably opportunity for people to deal in a small way under these postal arrangements so as to make money out of the fall in foreign exchange, but it is unreasonable to ask anybody to believe that any large amount of money can be so invested. When a man gets money from the government without performing a service, it is just the same as when a man takes money from an individual without performing a service for that money. Mm. Is there anything more engaging than two financial people arguing with each other? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this 3% yield is better than your 25 over a shorter term. I've always wanted to attend a financial meeting and then probably blow my head I've, off from okay. boredom. I was yeah. going to say, I've never had the desire to do that in my life. Now, as you can probably see, being publicly criticized isn't a real good look for Ponzi. Mm. This entire thing could erupt at any moment. So... What was Ponzi's next move? Well, he decided to go on the offensive by contacting the attorney general, wanting to set up an arrangement. So he would direct, he would be directed to a meeting with Sulfic District Attorney Joseph Peltier. Mm. Now, apparently Peltier wasn't exactly squeakly, squeaky clean himself, <laughs> and the book tries to insinuate that he wasn't against taking bribes. Sure, it's 1920. <laughs> it's like, it's... Uh, rude if you don't take a bribe, Exactly. <laughs> Either way, Ponzi told them he was going to shut down his business and allow them to do a complete audit of his company. Wow. Now, he's going to just stop taking in investments. Just keep that in mind. He's okay. still going to pay out people. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <clears throat> after they found out it was all on the up and up, all the investigations would completely cease. That was the agreement. Gotcha. Now, because of the shutdown of Security Exchange Company, Ponzi knew it was going to cause a wave of people who would want their money back. But if they did that, they were going to forfeit their 50% interest, which again, in Ponzi's mind, was only going to help his debts. So he did some calculations. At this point, he had about $8 million with... The 50% interest, he owed about $15 million. He needed about $7 million to pass the audit. Hey, no problem. This guy, when he <laughs> has fucking come up with... When he needed 10000 he's come up with 10000 When he needed 200 he's come up with 200 I have no problem believing he'll come up he's, with this. Oh, yeah. So right now, you think he's going to pull it off? I think he's, he's going to pass this, this audit. <laughs> Now, he was expecting he would lose roughly $4 million from investors, but that would mean he would still need about $3 million to cover. But he had a plan. Being that he was the majority owner at the Hanover Trust, he had access to their vaults. Oh my goodness. On any given day, Hanover Trust had about $5 million in cash in said vault. Oh mm-hmm. my god. So he figured... That if he was to borrow 
that five million and have it with his assets in security exchange company, it would appear as if he could cover the money owed to investors. After passing the audit, he could just return the five million dollars to walk Hanover it right Trust back in. Vault. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just taking uh, the, you know this big ass bag of money. I'll, don't worry, I'm bringing it back tomorrow. We're going to learn here. Uh, at this time, they still had like $10,000 bills. Right. Or for 50. interbank oh, yeah. trading. Right. So uh, that's not going to look like that much money potentially. Right. So, Like a little wad of money would be $5 million. <laughs> So either way, it was going to be a hell of a gamble to pull it off. But really, what else could he do at this point? He just needed the government off his back, and then he could get into a legitimate business. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, 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 sure you will, <laughs> Just get Charles. over this little thing here. <laughs> like all addicts. <laughs> just need one more hit, and then I'll be fine. <laughs> now, the following day, as you can imagine, it was pretty much chaos outside of his firm. Ironically, the police had basically been standing guard on the street where his business was located, hurting the crowd, but... After the news of the shutdown, they were nowhere to be found. Whoa. So Ponzi's Pinkerton were Pinkertons were basically the only security. Oh. But that was not the worst thing to happen. After finding out he was shutting down security exchange company, a man named Alton Parker and his lawyer had filed a junction to shut down his business completely. Because Parker's $500 investment <laughs> was two days from maturing. Oh. <laughs> what an asshole. Now, Ponzi was trying to locate this Parker fellow to just give him the $750 and shut the whole case down before it could cause any more trouble. Yeah. And by the grace of God, Parker just so happened to stumble into his office that I day. I $750, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> So Ponzi just gave him the money and had him sign an affidavit. Uh, he was lucky lucky to have adverted this problem over such a measly amount of money compared yes. to how much he had. Give up that seven fifty. It's yeah, not going to help. Here, let me dig in my pockets. Uh, here, shut take up, my Mr. scraps, Parker. you dumb fuck. <laughs> now, with the chaos outside of his office, it didn't really reach a violent end, thankfully. But a group of, a group of men did end up smashing through a glass door then proceeded to harass the teller, demanding their money. Well, but, why would you harass the teller? They're just there doing their job. They don't know what's going on. You know what? It's 1920s. They don't care. Yeah. I don't think they really respect Well, still, I still see it nowadays. Like, the other day, there was some dude, like, I stopped at a holiday to get, like, a pop and shit on my way home from work, and some guy had, like, his cub rewards <laughs> card for a gas discount, and it was 80 cents oh my that he would have saved on his fill-up. And, like, his cub reward card didn't work or something. He was just, like, going off on this person at the counter. Like, well, there's a reason I shop at Cub and I get my gas here. This is 80 cents. Are you going to reimburse it now? And I was like, it's 80 cents, dude. I know. Just like, walk away. Chill the fuck out. I oh, don't, no. I, in those cases, I don't think it's about the money. I think it's about them believing somebody is taking advantage yep, of them. They yeah. were wrong. Strictly all that is. Either way, it took a lot of self-control to not just, like, grab that 78-year-old man by his fucking collar and throw him out <laughs> and tell him to leave them the fuck alone because they're 
an hourly employee at a fucking gas station. What are they going to do well, about it? Well, technically, he was probably a Vietnam vet, and he bought mm-hmm. sex workers for 80 cents mm-hmm. in Vietnam, and he thinks it's worth a fortune now. Well, I mean, that's true. <laughs> Kick him out to his brand new fucking Volvo. If I was you, I would have uh, delivered a tombstone pile driver on him right in the yeah. middle of a holiday. Oh, stuff. fuck yeah. At least a stunner. And then he, she oh, would have gave. Oh, that got me mad. And then she would have gave you his eighty cents. <laughs> yes, and a, and an applause. Yes. Now the commissioner of banking had a feeling that Ponzi didn't actually have the funds to pay back all the investors wanting their funds, and in turn, it could cause a huge problem. For example, if too many people demanded their money back and cashed it at the bank and say Ponzi's funds had ran out, the bank would probably take it out of their reserves. And taking too much out of their reserves would cause the banks around Boston to begin to collapse. Yep. So the commissioner demanded demanded that the Hanover Trust Bank make a detailed report of withdrawals and deposits uh, involving Ponzi every single day. Uh-huh. So that's po- is, uh, yeah, that's a, that was a serious problem. A oh, run of the yeah. bank. If you like a run of the bank could actually collapse an entire banking system. I know. I I don't think it's set up like that now, but is it? Uh yeah, I mean just like phone lines, you know, there's only so many like if everybody tries calling at once, it's just going to get a busy signal. Mm-hmm. And it's just like with banking, if everybody tries to get their money, it just doesn't exist. All that money doesn't actually exist. I was thinking like when I was reading this, I was like, Jesus, it, it is such a delicate flux around this time and like there's a lot of people asking for a lot of fucking money back right yep, now. Yeah, so. Yep. so Ponzi claimed <laughs> that the first day he would pay out around a million dollars, which some believe was actually closer to about a couple hundred thousand dollars. The second day, he would pay back about 500000 to $750,000. Wow. Now, while yes, this sounds like Ponzi is slowly dying, you'd be shocked that plenty of people were still standing with Ponzi. Mm. It's, I think they were attracted to the rags to rich side of Ponzi that really spoke to the general public at the time, especially the immigrants. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. So they're just he, like, this guy is He's an immigrant who came from nothing. He's got Correct. the Rolodex automatic limo. Right. Or he's whatever got, the fuck it's called. Like, like he, fancy suits. Like, yeah, you're going to look up to him. I, like, even today, are we going to cheer for somebody who, like, made something of themselves? Are we going to side with the bankers with and Mike the government? Bloomberg? We're not. I'm not oh going to sign God. with quit, Governor Bloomberg. Quit, quit with those commercials. Yeah. I don't care what party it is, but yeah. uh, he's just like a rich guy. We don't yeah. need any more just rich guys. Yeah. I just love that he says uh, that he goes by Mike. Oh. It's like, come on. You've been Michael your whole life, I'm sure. <laughs> no, he's been Mr. Bloomberg. Yeah, okay. Although yes. I will say, like, I've actually looked into him, like, he was fired from his job at 39 and then built himself from there. So, like, that is actually kind of cool. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, there's probably some cheating and some fucking scheming along and the had, way. And he had a 39-year safety net. <laughs> yes. Of billionaire safety net. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. But still. I don't know. I Maybe just because we're peons. I, I don't trust rich people. I'm sorry. No, just not, for oh, a not second. at all. Don't trust them. How do you think they got there? By <laughs> fucking over peons like us. That's how. <laughs> Yeah, fucking people over in, uh, like, the super fancy parts of Mendota Heights where your houses are going to cost $750,000 mm. and I deliver you a $110 goddamn Pizza Hut order and you tip me two bucks. Yeah, yeah I don't, I'll never understand that one. Me neither. 
Man, we ordered Papa John's last night, and, like, me and Amy aren't rich, but guess what? It was, like, a $30 order. I tipped the motherfucker $12. You know what? I was at the St. Paul Grill. It's the first time I've ate there at night. And, honestly, the service wasn't great, and the food was overpriced and not really that great. Sure. <clears throat> Sorry to say. And, uh, at the end of the night, I was like, should I give her a good tip? You know what? Even though the service kind of sucked... Still gave her the appropriate amount of money for said tip. Oh, God, yeah. Because she's still working, you know? It's like, I mean, just whatever. imagine some of the shitheads that those people are serving. Like, well, oh, you want, like, an old-fashioned with this specific amount of this <laughs> whiskey and blah, 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 blah. Like, all these specific requests and... You know, if it's not the right amount of pink or red in their steak, they're going to send it back and complain. The steak was high quality that I got, but definitely needed more salt and pepper. Just going to say it. Hey, that's fair. Yeah. You, the steak, you can douse that motherfucker in salt and pepper because it can absorb all hey, the way at, in it. At so. least they didn't overseason it. <laughs> True. You know, you know True. what you do? You, you go up to the Cherokee Tavern on Smith. Is that good? Oh, it's fucking fantastic. I need to try man. it. I'm a little scared of by the looks of it. I need to try it then. No, it's good. Uh, actually, like later this month when it's Amy's birthday, we're going there. Hell yeah, she let's knows do this. it. Because the Thursday of the week of your birthday, you get a free filet mignon dinner <laughs> as long as you're with like another adult who buys an entree. It's mm, not a bad deal. Fuck no, that's like a fucking $60 meal for mm. free. Anyway... While the post had already started in the downfall of Ponzi, it didn't quite hurt him as bad as they had hoped. The morning of July 28, 1920, Richard Grozier would release a headline, an article that could either destroy his personal reputation or Ponzi's. It goes as follows. Is Mr. Ponzi the wizard on the foreign exchange market <laughs> that his alleged profits appear to make him? Out as, or is he running on an old game in a new guise? <laughs> the experience of the ages arouses skepticism that he could do what he claims to have done, and yet all the forces investigating his scheme so far have been unable to prove him guilty of fraud. <laughs> Governments are not going to allow themselves to be swindled on this scale indefinitely, and it must be only a question of a few weeks before the Golden Goose is killed. There is, of course, still the alternative... <laughs> that possible there never was any such goose i want i didn't really geese remove honk (laughs) i didn't really include it in the notes but keep it in the back of your mind guys that the post is really upset that the government's kind of like pussyfooting along the investigation so keep that in the back of your mind everybody except for that one reporter that wrote the fluff piece (laughs) (laughs) yes he's like this guy's great (laughs) security exchange company continued to be flooded by people wanting their money back. But, again, in Ponzi's eyes, this was bittersweet. The Boston Post was fairly unrelenting in their pursuit of Ponzi. The reporters would literally hang around his office most of the day asking him questions. He made sure to tell them he was thinking of selling Security Exchange Company for $10 million. (laughs) In fact, he had someone in New York City who was interested... Of course, he wouldn't give any more details than that. Of course. Always <laughs> make him give think. Him... <laughs> go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I was going to say, give him a little bit to hang on. There you go. Yep. They might leave you alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, the, uh, it's the telltale sign of a con man. This got a little worse for Ponzi when on July 30th, 1920, the Boston Post published this headline. 
extra coupon plan has exploded. New York Postmaster says not enough in the whole world to make fortune, Ponzi claims. Oh, shit. It contained a quote from New York Postmaster Thomas G. Patton, who declared that it was impossible for him to make money from this simply because there was not enough coupons. Mm. New York itself had on hand about 27,000 international reply coupons, which carried a value of about $1,400. So So it's impossible to make a million dollars a week on this? Correct. Uh. Now you'd assume this would be damning. And while, yes, people were still demanding their money back, shockingly, there were plenty of people that were still on his side. Yeah. In fact... The newspaper called the Boston Traveler wrote that same day a piece comparing Ponzi to Babe Ruth. They wrote their article as if talking to Babe Ruth. It read, Give half that pedestal to Charlie Ponzi. (laughs) Great pair, Ruth and Ponzi. Ponzi is a lot like you, babe. The bankers are said to be trying to retire him with the banks full. Just like trying to retire you with the bases full, eh, babe? Oh, Jesus Christ. That would be amazing if there's a statue of Babe Ruth and Charles Monty was right next to him. It's that would be strangest. <laughs> that would be I, fucking I just want to see one of Babe Ruth holding a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> this is like Clint Eastwood interviewing the chair. <laughs> fucking Babe Ruth interviewing... Charles Ponzi. (laughs) Now, shortly after this, Peltier would attempt to completely stop his probe after Ponzi for some reason, but his boss would inform him how badly Calvin Coolidge was pushing to fix the financial corruption. So they appointed a man named Edwin L. Pride to handle the audit instead. So when the time came, Ponzi handed over all of his records and Pride informed him... It was going to take him about four days. He was going to work through the weekend to get it done. Mm. What a trooper. Yeah. What a loser. (laughs) Weekends for me, baby. (laughs) But unbeknownst to Ponzi, the audit might not actually be the biggest problem at this point. He had a traitor (laughs) lurking in his circle. Shit. His publicity expert... Mick Masters must have be, must have begun to wonder if Ponzi was actually a financial genius or uh, if this was just a simple Rob Peter to pay Paul scam. So in the off hours, McMasters decided to scour security exchange company for the truth. You fucking snake. <sighs> McMasters, your amazing name, you're a snake. <laughs> when he found it, he offered to sell the truth to Richard Grozier oh. at the Boston Post for $5,000. So on August 2nd, 1920, the headline read, Ponzi is now hopelessly insolvent. (laughs) Publicity expert employed by Wizard says he has not sufficient funds to meet his notes. States he has sent no money to Europe nor received (laughs) money from Europe recently. Oh my God. Now in the the story, McMaster's estimated that Ponzi was about $2 million in debt at this point. You don't even know the half of it, McMaster's. (laughs) I'll tell you what, take that estimate and like quadruple it. That's how far I am right now, sir. (laughs) You fool, giving them, making me look better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what little faith Ponzi had managed to restore with his investors was basically complete, completely decimated after this news story. Oh, yeah. 
a huge line would form outside of security exchange company with people now freaking out and wanting their money back. One lady had to wait so long, she fainted from exhaustion. Oh my god, standing on my feet is <laughs> exhausting she work. Could, I, bet she oh. was, I bet she was an attention seeker. A Probably. Bit. Oh lord. Yeah. Did, did she have her servants oh. with like a fainting couch to <laughs> rush underneath her? She wanted to get in the Boston Post. <laughs> Smartly or not, people were purchasing the security exchange company slips from people waiting in line for their refunds as sometimes as low as a 90% discount. Ah. They're all idiots. <laughs> Such as one man named Ricardo, Ricardo Boney, who told his wife she could bet her shoes on this. This was a good investment. <laughs> Ricardo would end up purchasing about $7,000 worth of these slips. And he could have just waited in line and honestly made a good amount of money, but he got a little greedy and said he had complete faith in Ponzi Idiot. and decided to wait for the slips oh, to mature. Idiot. <laughs> just cash out. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> now, Ponzi, being a man with always having something to say, had a little retort for what McMasters had told the Post. He said, As far as being insolvent... I absolutely deny the allegation. People have admired me for my nerve. My smile, which has become so well known through cartoons and photographs, is prompted by a clear conscience. A run does not affect my serenity because I have the money to back it. Let me tell you this. I'm going to meet all of my outstanding obligations and meet them with fund which I have in banks right here in Boston. <laughs> and when that is done, I shall have millions left. <laughs> oh, my. Now, around 2 p.m., they would close the doors to the business, figuring it was going to take the rest of the time just to pay off the investors who are already inside. <laughs> well, yeah. There's a fucking line around the block. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Give me my money. We really don't have it. Now, with the doors closed, Ponzi <clears throat> decided to speak with some of the folks waiting outside and managed to calm down the crowd and restore their faith in him a little bit. When Ponzi was outside, one newsboy told him, You're the greatest Italian ever. <laughs> no, I am the third greatest. Oh. Christopher Columbus discovered America. And Marconi discovered the wireless. Aw, you discovered the money. <laughs> what the hell is the wireless? I couldn't really figure out what the hell that was. Is that wireless telegraph, probably? Ah, oh, you're probably right, yeah. Good on you, Marconi. I yeah. always feel like that's like a gangster's name for some Marconi. reason. <laughs> is the wireless telegraph messenger pigeons? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Funny story. That same day, one paper managed to track down William 520% Miller ah, oh asking, asking his opinion about Ponzi. He said, I may be rather dense, but I can't understand how Ponzi made so much money in so short a time in foreign exchange. I would much rather own this grocery store where I have few worries and breathe God's free, pure country air. Good on you, sir. Thank you, 520% Miller. <laughs> By the end of this week, Ponzi would have to return an additional $1 million to his investors. Ponzi's old friend, Louis Casello, took advantage of the chaos going on at a security exchange company and wrote, Forged 
Ponzi notes and oh. send his people inside to cash them. Jesus. <laughs> now, Ponzi was obviously hemorrhaging money, but he was still holding on to the belief that if he could just get over this little hump, he could start a new legitimate business by getting into banking, his shipping business. You get the idea. Mm. So Ponzi got the idea to try to strike a deal with furniture owner Daniels to get his accounts unfrozen. So they would agree to set up a meeting strictly between Ponzi and Daniels. No lawyers. Man on man. Daniels started off with a $100,000 offer to drop the lawsuit. Ponzi just scoffed. <laughs> Daniels quickly then said, how about $75,000? Ponzi knew he was overly eager to just get paid. It told him, how about $50,000? And Daniels agreed. Wow. Now the trick was to get his funds unfrozen, but to do that without involving Daniel's lawyer, because obviously the lawyer definitely was just going to try to get his cut. Oh, yeah. But one of the banks who had $389,000 upon Z's money refused to unfreeze it without the lawyer present. So Ponzi and Daniels agreed to lie to the lawyer and tell them their agreement was for 25000 to ensure that he didn't get nearly as much. God damn. He just can't. And he thinks he's going to open a legitimate business after all this, huh? He can't even do simple things without being a fucking scumbag. Initially, the lawyer was pissed because he thought he could get more money out of Ponzi, but Daniels had already struck a deal. So the lawyer would get about $9,500 in the end. Daniel said this afterwards. I could have got more if I had presented my evidence to the court, no doubt. <laughs> but the lawyers might have got it all. Now I'm happy and can sleep tonight. <laughs> Probably with a full bottle of booze and a steak in his belly. <laughs> yep. You know what? It's funny how like <clears throat> skeptical they are of lawyers at this point, too. Shit. Bankers they, Everyone and still should be. Yeah, Remember that. True that. So as a uh, final cherry on top, Ponzi told Daniels he would involve him with his new business. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Let's partner up again. <laughs> God damn it. Now, freeing up his funds couldn't have came at a better time because people were still trickling in wanting a refund, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing because the audit was still going on. Yeah, uh, it looks great. I mean, it actually does look great if he's still able to fulfill refunds yeah, every day that the audit's happening. Obviously, Ponzi was still wanting to get this new business up and running, but figured it would look a little fishy if he did it right away. But would he survive the upcoming barrage? On August 9th, 1920, the banking commissioner, who had been secretly keeping an eye on Ponzi's accounts, discovered that he had been opening up several accounts in other people's names. But that wasn't what really got his attention. The fact that Ponzi had tried to withdraw funds from a bank in New Hampshire that he did not have. <laughs> First, he tried to withdraw $250,000, but that was denied. I hope so, yeah. Then he tried to withdraw $150,000, and that was denied. I should say he wrote checks for these amounts. Gotcha, gotcha, uh... gotcha. Now, mind you, this was because the account only had... $146,000. Okay. But that was enough for the banking commissioner to believe that Ponzi was potentially bankrupt. Yeah. So, you don't really forget, like, you only have 146000 and try and write a quarter million dollar check. It sounded like 
they didn't necessarily have the right to strike him at this point. But when they saw that, they're like, this is our opening to get him. Sure. Yeah. You know what sure. I mean? Like, yeah. it's probably not technically the legal way to do it, but this is, was their time to strike. So with seeing that, obviously the banking commissioner believed that Ponzi was bankrupt. So he would contact the attorney general, J. Weston Allen, who would immediately order a freeze on all of Ponzi's accounts and would tell the treasurer at Hanover Bank to immediately stop any payments. Now, initially, Hanover Bank said they weren't going to do that. But when the banking commissioner threatened to make them liable for Ponzi's overdraft, they pretty quickly uh, complied. <laughs> hey, no problem, guys. Hey, you got it. <laughs> Obviously, this was bad for Ponzi. Yes. But he was still managing to keep his cool. In fact, he would just portray it as simply the government overstepping its bounds. <laughs> he had managed to pay off all his investors up to date, and they simply had no reason to be doing this to him. In fact, in one newspaper article, he said the public should rise up and forcibly remove these men from office. Yeah, <laughs> armed <laughs> revolution. Fuck yes, dude. He topped off this interview with pulling out a wad of cash with a $10,000 bill on the outside and exclaimed, I am broke. They say I am broke and I'm a criminal. <laughs> you boys all know me. If I did not have the money to pay all of my notes with, I would not have stopped paying on the 26th of July. I would have flown the coop. He isn't lying. No, sir. So shortly after this, Hanover Bank had estimated Ponzi overdrew his accounts by about... $441,778, but he did have the $1.5 million certificate of deposit that they would just take the $441,778 out of, but the trouble certainly isn't over yet. Right, he had to put down that $1.5 in, like, Correct. insurance, basically. I, I didn't really understand how they were doing this. If they have a sheet of paper and they're just, like, making subtract this amount from it, like, how is that legitimate money? It's just I a don't... ledger. Yeah, it's all <laughs> theoretical money. Yeah, That's just, all money is. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But anyway. Weird. Money's just an artificial <laughs> fucking man-made construct. <laughs> now, unbeknownst to Ponzi, one Post reporter heard a rumor about his arrest in Montreal and headed to Canada to find out the truth. And it didn't take him too long to connect that Charles Ponzi or Charles Bianchi of Banco Zarossi was actually Charles Ponzi. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, it's not a hard <laughs> leap to make. There. So they would publish the newest Boston Post with the headline, Canadian Ponzi served jail term. <laughs> Montreal police, jail warden, others declare that Charles Ponzi of Boston and Charles Ponzi of Montreal, who was sentenced to two and a half years in jail for forgery on Italian bank, are one and the same men. State authorities now active and promise at least one arrest in case soon. Ooh. Now, the interesting thing about the arrest soon is there was literally no official comment from any sort of government agency <laughs> they were that they were actually going to make an arrest. It sure. seems that they just put this in there for some reason. Yeah, it's spicy. <laughs> it's that Bianca Latin spice, you know? <laughs> yes. That's how you get them views. <laughs> After this, when people were trying to find out if Ponzi was actually the person the papers were talking about, he adamantly denied even knowing who the hell Charles Ponzi was. But around noon that exact same day, 
Ponzi would come clean about all of his previous criminal <laughs> history, but did claim he basically took the rap for Banco Zerosi and just tried to help out Zerosi's wife and children, which hey, is kind of that true. That is kind of true. He's a good guy. Also, that he wasn't actually trying to smuggle the Italian aliens and was just falsely imprisoned for it. He topped off the interview with saying that even though the truth was now out in the open, he was certainly going to continue to pay off those looking to collect their funds from Security Exchange Company, and he was going to step down as the chairman for Hanover Bank. But around the same time, the banking commissioner posted this note on the front doors of Hanover Bank. Under the authority invested in me by law, <laughs> I hereby take possession of the property and business of the Hanover Trust Company. Ooh. Ooh. Now, the reason for this is because Hanover's illegal activity went even deeper than just Ponzi's overdrafting. <laughs> oh, they're crooked to the core. Aren't they? <laughs> they believe that Hanover had completely exhausted its reserved reserves as well as handed out illegal and unsafe loans. They found that Hanover President Hemi, Henry, is this Kalimsky, Shalimsky? Sh, uh, Shmielinsky. <laughs> Henry Shmielinsky. Pronounce it as it's spelt. Shmielinsky. <laughs> Polish last name. We'll just say Henry Polish last Henry name. Henry Shmielinsky. <laughs> no, anyway. It's probably like Henry Johnson. <laughs> Well, anyway, he had been secretly borrowing money to finance real estate purchases under a company he ran called Polish American Finance and Trading <laughs> Association. Hey, right to the point. My favorite company, PAFTA. Hey, PAFTA. <laughs> now, up to this point, the banking, banking commissioner had nailed Ponzi, but the man who was doing the audit of his company was still working on it. By the time he was almost done... The man doing the audit named Edwin Pride figured Ponzi owed about $7 million, but Ponzi knew he only had about $4 million in assets. But there wasn't any arrests yet. Nothing concrete. Shortly after the Post released the headline, Arrest in Ponzi case may be made today. Inside this particular paper was the latest sketch by Richie titled, Ready to burst, containing cartoon images of four men, Gallagher, Pride, and the two aliens who stood atop the federal building and the state house using spears to poke holes in a balloon labeled the Ponzi Get Rich Quick Bubble. Wow. Oh, shit. That sounds like a sweet fucking cartoon. Just going to say that. We should see if we can find that and get it uh, on the IG or something. That'd yeah. be fucking bad. Do it for the gram. <laughs> So knowing what was about to happen next, Ponzi gathered his lawyer and headed for federal prosecutor Dan Gallagher's office to work out a deal in turning himself in. Well, Ponzi told Gallagher that he was innocent and he assumed pride had simply overestimated his debts. If he wanted to turn himself in early, he was going to have to agree with pride's assessment. With that, Gallagher took him to the uh, U.S. Marshal's office, and they quickly wrote up an arrest warrant for using using the mail to defraud. I have a hunch this is going to be the smart move on his part. Yes. You will think that. Uh -oh. now, for now. For now. For now. <laughs> for now. Is. Go ahead and think that. Now, he had only mailed people asking to collect 
their money, so the charge was almost comical in the grand scheme of things. Sure. So Ponzi just waited until he found out his bail amount, then posted the $25,000 in cash to get out. Okay. He but probably just had it in his pocket. Probably. <laughs> that's like three $10,000 bills. Yeah. Can you break a $10,000? Yeah. You, you know <laughs> what? Just keep it. Get yourself yeah. something nice. <laughs> but not too long after just getting out of jail, he was approached by two police officers collecting a warrant <laughs> on three charges of larceny issued by Attorney General Allen. <laughs> Again, he pleaded innocent and posted the $10,000 bail and basically just had to wait for his court dates. I thought if you posted bail, it was like, oh, cool, you paid us enough money, so no criminal charges no, coming no, your no, way. No, 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 That just gets you out of jail until your court date. Yeah. No. So well, that's no, bullshit. it's not a payoff amount for, no, your, for no. your crimes. That's what I always thought it was. <laughs> My sweet baby Jordan. No, you just I got thought it was just like oh, hundred thousand dollar bail. Yeah, here's a hundred thousand dollars. All right, see you never. That's, that's <laughs> why, like, if you're really, really rich and you pay off your bail for like, I think did OJ get this bail for his murder? Yeah, and like he just was roaming around until the court date, and then he would have to go to jail or yeah. whatever, so... Bail just means you're not in jail waiting your court date. Yeah. Well, some of those amounts seem excessive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the following day, the Boston Post had the headline, Ponzi arrested. Admitted now he cannot pay $3 million short. <laughs> so, because of this headline, for some reason... The bail bondsman decided to revoke the $25,000 that Ponzi had posted, so he was arrested again. He oh, literally some gave him the $25,000. Yep. You can't just, what do you do? Be like, hey, Ponzi, here's your $25,000 back. You can revoke a bond. Yeah, you, you can, can revoke absolutely revoke a bond. If you think bond. somebody's a flight risk and they're not going to pay it, you can mm-hmm. revoke that. No but problem. he already paid 25000 no, 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 a bondsman. We thought that he paid it personally, but apparently okay. he paid a bondsman. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So he paid 10% of it. Exactly. So after this, they wouldn't post another bail amount because, one, the state would just draw up more charges, and two, they would just make the bail so high he couldn't even afford it anyway. Sure. So they're just holding him without bail. More or less. So Ponzi would have to spend the next three months in East Cambridge jail awaiting his federal court date. Gross. In the meantime, they had located all of the people Ponzi had mailed letters to. Mind you, he was just informing them that their funds had matured. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a crime. But <laughs> to apparently, tell people to come get their money. Apparently that is still illegal. Okay. What? Apparently, at this time, it is. So, because of this, he was being charged with 86 separate charges of mail fraud. Now, Ponzi's lawyer told him he should make a guilty plea for one of the 86 charges of mail fraud. If he did this, they would only charge him for one and drop the other ones. (laughs) So, Ponzi... Ponzi would be sentenced to serve five years, probably end up serving about 20 months... And afterwards, the state was probably going to leave him alone. Yeah, well, all of these problems <laughs> never work out in his favor, usually. His, his lawyer told him that uh, after a federal charge, the state had never recharged after that. Okay. According to his lawyer, okay. and his lawyer is... He said, once the feds get you, the state's not going to hang you for the same yeah, thing. correct. His lawyer is... Um, An idiot? Very corrupt. Okay. So he's helped very, very, very corrupt men get out of trouble, so he's good. He's a very good lawyer. 
While now this sounds like the best course of action, Ponzi was straight up refusing to plead guilty because he didn't want to be away from Rose for that long. Even though she was sticking by his side and telling him he needed to do this. Yeah, take this deal. (laughs) But when the time came, Ponzi would finally relent. In the end, Ponzi would be sentenced to serve five years, but they allowed him to serve his time at Plymouth County Jail so he could assist with the bankruptcy proceedings and also so his family could visit him. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, he didn't have to go to a federal pen. That's pretty nice. No, it's very nice of him. After this, some of Ponzi's top agents were also arrested in charge. Louis Casillo would make a clean escape after stealing even a little bit more money from the <laughs> security exchange company. They, they said they never found him. Whoa. He just made off. He They never would find him. He went to Mexico. Later. <laughs> In the aftermath of Hanover Trust closure, the other banks Ponzi used followed suit. Cosmopolitan Trust Company, Fidelity Trust, Tremont Trust all ended up closing their doors because of this. The whole reason was because once Ponzi got arrested, the depositors were really scared to use the banks that he was using, so they wow. all pulled their money out. He poisoned the well for everyone. Correct. Once Hanover closed, they got freaked out, took their money out of those banks, and then they all fell within like a Holy month or something. Shit. So, yeah. One year after Ponzi's arrest, his lawyer, Dan Coakley, and the Suffolk County District Attorney, I think his was uh, Peltier, both had their long-tenured sexual extortion scheme exposed and were both disbarred. <laughs> I don't... Fucking what? I don't even know what that is. Like, were they, they fucking each other in I lieu don't, of bribes? I'm assuming... I'm assuming they were, like, telling people they would help them if they offered them sexual things. I don't know. I didn't really go into I, detail. It just said sexual extortion scheme. I don't know what that means. So defense attorney and district attorney. Yeah. It sounds like they were teaming up to, like, ex- yes. sexually extort people Correct. together. Correct. They were. In order to not send people to prison. <laughs> yes. So it's like, if you let us run a train on you, turn you into a little spit roast pig, then maybe, maybe you won't go to prison. You, you ever had five guys cream pie in a night? <laughs> well, there's only two of them. Yeah. But just a lawyer and a DA. All right, two and a half guys cream pie in a night. <laughs> you, you remember when I said Peltier was corrupt? I <sighs> He was the other guy in here, I'm pretty sure. So That's funny. It's fucked up. You know what's funny, too? What? I went to school with a kid named Pat Peltier. Peltier, and now that's all I can think of. And Amy <laughs> Shout and I, out Pat Peltier. Amy and I went to school with someone whose last name was Peltier. Hmm. Maybe they're related to this guy. Probably. <laughs> now, while, while still serving his time in federal prison in 1922, the state of Massachusetts moved forward with their own charges for Ponzi, oh, which Jesus. included <laughs> six charges of larceny, Five charges of being an accessory before the fact of larceny, and one charge for conspiracy to commit larceny. Uh, Thanks, lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) But after the trial, the jury would find him not not guilty on all the charges. Wow. In August of 1924, Ponzi would finally be released from the Plymouth County Jail after serving four of his five year sentence. So his lawyer was wrong. On all accounts. Well, he's a sexual extortionist. I don't know if he should have been trusting him. Yes. He was supposed to do a year and a half and... (laughs) Suck my dick, you only get 30 months. (laughs) Now, after he was out, the state tried to bring up more charges. Wow. But the jury ended up deadlocked in its decision. 
Then the state brought up charges against Ponzi for a third time in February of 1925. Jesus. This time, he was found guilty and sentenced to serve seven to nine years as, quote, common and as a common and notorious thief. He's I guess that's a uncommon. charge. He's pretty uncommon. <laughs> Is that a charge, though? Well, I think it's supposed to be insulting. I guess. You are nothing but a common and notorious <laughs> thief. But he would remain free on bail because the sentence had to stay until Ponzi had made his appeal. Gotcha. So, so if he never makes an appeal, I'm assuming they he can has to make never... one. I'm assuming he has a deadline of some kind. Sure, but if you're not in the state anymore or the country, then it would be tough to make your appeal. That's going to come up in a minute. Here. Okay. <laughs> so he and Rose headed for Florida oh. to try to get into the land boom. Uh-huh. So he would start the, <laughs> I think it's Charpin Land Syndicate. Charpon Land Syndicate. Uh, Charpon Land Syndicate, claiming his name was Charles Borelli. <laughs> this time... He was promising his investors 200% in 45 days. (laughs) That's too much. Oh, God damn it, Charlie. (laughs) Fucking Chuck. His plan was to take the money and sell 10 million tiny plats of land around Jacksonville. Florida quickly revealed who he was and shut down his operation and arrested him. (laughs) Yeah. Ponzi avoided the charges of land fraud, but was sentenced to one year for violating Florida security laws, but again was released pending appeals. So he's pending appeals in two states now. Correct. This All whole, right. this, Just never appeal, you're fine. <laughs> That's what I'm getting out no, of this. No, you have to appeal, or you have to want to appeal, then they'll let you out. I didn't well, really so I want to appeal, that. I just don't have the time for it. Yeah, I'm busy right with now. some land I mean, investments. <laughs> yeah. Like Adam mentioned, this whole time, Massachusetts still wanted him to serve their sentence to seven to nine years. Yeah, he's supposed to be preparing his appeal right now. <laughs> so Ponzi would flee and even would set up a fake suicide in Jacksonville <laughs> by leaving his clothing and goods on a bench with an apology note to his wife and friends. <laughs> what, what? What? He just left it there with like a... Suicide don't right, but what do they think? He got raptured or something and just left his clothing and goods. God took me home. (laughs) I guess he just got naked and went off and killed himself, apparently. (laughs) He left his shoes on the bench like he was. I'm gonna hang myself by the dick. (laughs) That's what it said. He just left all his shit there and like took off to make it look like he killed himself naked, I guess. Alright. Now there was only one problem. He told someone he was working with while he was still a fugitive the truth. They turned him in. And he was arrested again. Trust no one. Exactly. While in custody, Ponzi would send a telegram to both now President Calvin Coolidge and to Benito Mussolini for pardons. <laughs> they were both ignored. He would be extradited back to Boston in February 1927 to begin his prison sentence. In 1930, Ponzi would request a pardon on the grounds that his mother was dying in Italy but they would deny his request. Mm. Now, Imeld would pass away without ever realizing how much trouble her son was actually in. I mean, that's, that's kind of a blessing. Yeah, that's though. a relief for her. I mean, she thinks he's this great success story. Yeah, she, she doesn't, doesn't to... know about his jail time and how he fucked people over. Yeah, like, I, I don't, I know. She he... died thinking the best of her son. You got to remember, though, she was there for his first arrest. 
but his arrest after he got out, she was already back in Italy. I just feel bad because his mother was so important to him. Yeah. And also, he, like, built this life up basically to, like, impress her. And not being able to, like, say goodbye when she's on her deathbed is just really sad to me. Yeah. So. It is sad. It is sad. So, But let's try and choke that down <laughs> and remember how many people's lives he ruined. That's a very good point. All right. Now, Ponzi would be released in February of 1934, but the U.S. wasn't quite done with him yet. Seeing that he had never officially became a U.S. citizen be- mm. because of his uh, arrest record, the U.S. government decided to deport him. Yeah. So on October 7, 1934, he was sent back to Italy. His beloved Rose could not follow him because all of her family was still in Boston, and about two years later, Rose would have to divorce him. Yeah. Why couldn't she go to Italy? Because <clears throat> her all of her family was still in Boston, and she didn't. She must have had to take care of him and didn't want to abandon him. That was what I was getting out of it. In 1939, Ponzi would move to Brazil, taking a job for an Ita- Italian airline called Lati. While here, he was earning about $75 a month, which Ponzi claimed in Brazil wasn't too shabby of an amount of money. Sure. But his health was failing. He was losing his eyesight and would be weakened by a heart attack. That occurred seven years to the day of his deportation. Ooh. <clears throat> So he's only in, been in Brazil, not... Not too long. He he basically was in Italy for a little bit, and then he went right to Brazil. Wow. So Now, Rose and Ponzi would, would continue to send letters to each other. It seemed that even though they were divorced and several thousand miles apart, they both still loved and cared about each other. In 1948, Ponzi's health was fading fast. He was now he was legally blind at this point, and a brain hemorrhage caused him to lose control of his left arm and his left leg. Finally, on January 17, 1949, in 1949, Ponzi died of a blood clot in his brain at the age of 66. He had $75 to his name, just enough to cover the cost of his burial. Mm-hmm. Rose wanted his body to be buried in Boston, but she didn't have the funds to actually do the whole thing. Rose, on the other hand, lasted until 1993 and finally passed away at the age of 97. Holy shit. Oh, she was on the Titanic. That was Rose. She threw that (laughs) big-ass necklace that would have been... Enough to provide her a comfortable rest of her life into the ocean again. Fuck this giant diamond. It was after her passing and going through her belongings that they discovered all of the like love notes that her and Ponzi had been mailing to each other that Aww. entire time he was still alive. It was really, really, really sad. And the book had a picture of Ponzi like on his deathbed. It was just... It didn't even look like him when he was younger. It's really sad. Ugh. Anyway, in 1957, the Oxford English Dictionary officially added the term Ponzi scheme with the definition as a form of fraud in which belief in the success of a fictive enterprise is fostered by payment of quick <laughs> returns to first investors. From money invested by others. Mm, so there it there is, go. boys. Woo! It's all over. That's Chuck. That's Charlie there, buddy. Y'all He's, heard it? Uh, I don't know. I just, maybe it was more detailed about his death in the book, but I just felt 
really sad. Like, he just... He rose up so fast after living so hard, and then he yeah. just... And then within 15 years, he's dead. Yeah, basically. He spent, you know, uh, how many... Fuck, like 15 years in jail, and then he died basically about 15 years after he got out of jail. Yep. And, uh, yeah, he couldn't... The thing that it really... Uh, leached on is how much him and Rose, even though they were divorced and like didn't physically see each other, they just like had this undeniable connection with each yeah. other, which is really neat. It's a lifelong bond. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, that uh, I don't know. What do you guys feel like? Do you think he just got in over his head, or was he really greedy, or like what do you think? All. Oh. I think he got in over his head because he wasn't smart enough, really. And he just kept making bum decisions because he's oh, yeah. a gambler. Yeah. Yep. And uh, eventually, I mean, you keep robbing Peter enough and <laughs> Paul's going to kill you, I guess. I think, yeah. it, I think initially his coupon idea did have like... Some in, merit. Some merit in his mind. Obviously, you know that's not even possible to do it. He should have probably tried to like immediately get into a legitimate business to start churning money. No but, doubt. But yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, but I think he, you know, grew up poor and he just wanted to impress his mother. He wanted yeah, to make him impress his proud. mom. He wanted to provide. have all of the nice things, provide yeah. for Rose, mm-hmm. and he was willing to do whatever he could. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he fucked over a lot of people, but there is a bit of sympathy from me because, you know, he wanted to give the best life for his family. Right. Now, the thing is, too, like, I d- it didn't really say how many people actually lost money from him because a good chunk of people got their money back before he was arrested. So, yeah, and the banks were paying out what they owed him. Uh, so I, I don't really know how much he actually scammed out of people in the very end, but obviously... Probably he, a lot. Yeah, The fact probably. that we use Ponzi scheme <laughs> mm-hmm. to this day, like with Tom Petters and everyone, like... Mm. And uh, our boy, uh, what's what's his name? Hecker? Wasn't he doing that? Oh, Denny oh, Hecker. Was well, he doing that? He was doing something. His was like subprime lending or something. Oh, was shit, it? Where he That's like he paid doing. off banks to approve people for their fucking $100,000 Cadillacs yeah. that made $30,000 a year. I wouldn't doubt if a lot of dealerships do that. They just like aren't caught for it yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah no, like a lot of like Footh Auto on Concord. <laughs> I know for a fact they do that. Uh, weren't you literally just saying last week that they were a good... No, fuck no. I've never said okay. anything good about No, food. I don't think he has. Someone was saying no, that like, dealership. I don't it know. It doesn't matter what your credit is. Like, I have bad credit, and, you know, they'd probably get me approved <laughs> for auto financing at like a 37% APR. Yeah. And the other thing is, they'll just repossess it and make their money back anyway. Exactly. Now, like, you miss one month, and they're done. Like, <laughs> nope. oh, we're coming to fucking get this. Okay, let's let's close this out. Um, Adam, start off with your your one, two, and three for con men. Where do you have them in order? Okay, in order, it's... Uh, in order, number one... Ah, God, <laughs> just in terms of fame, it's going to have to be Ponzi, yeah. number one, yeah. and then Soapy. Mm, Brinkley, number three. And then Brinkley, three. Okay, what do you think, Jordan? Motherfucker did exactly what I was going to do. That's how you felt, too? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think we give a lot more to 
we give Soapy an edge over Brinkley because Soapy is definitely a pioneer. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he yeah. was way more like shoot him up, creative, yeah. shoot him up, intuitive. Mm. I don't know. See, uh, I think Ponzi's up there because he made a shitload of fucking money and he didn't like actually hurt anybody. He's the only one who didn't physically hurt anybody. True. Yeah. True. I bet Brinkley killed more people than Soapy did. Brinkley I'd be maimed people, <laughs> yeah. man. Maimed him and he was like, uh, what was this kill count? Like 50 some yep. people or something? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Soapy made a lot more money than Brinkley, I'm sure. Soapy? No, no, no. No. Brinkley was. Brinkley's the champion of that. Brinkley's the really? cash champ. Oh, yeah. He was like 50 million, Man, wasn't I, he? I just can't remember. He I'm was sorry. radio advertising champion. Yeah. He oh, was yeah, all that right. stuff. I, I think, like, Ponzi was like 8 to 9 million. Uh, Brinkley was like, I think he was like 50 million. I think it's 50. Soapy, yeah. I would assume, is in the 100,000s. Who knows? Like, Gold. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the, the you got to go with the time periods, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. So obviously, Brinkley I, I just in, like Soapy. I like yeah. Soapy. Soapy's fucking dope. Sue me. I like Soapy, bitches. <laughs> Soapy's classy. He looks good in uh, modern days. And if you like modern days, you can email us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and on Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Also, we have a f- Patreon. <laughs> Hell yeah. And it's called patreon.com slash bumblebuttpodcast. Go there. Brand new prints apparently about to be unveiled <laughs> very soon for the $15 Bowling for Satan tier donors. So if you want in there, get in on there. They will. You can also donate more than $15 <laughs> if you feel so inclined, and you will get that as well. Now, this time, um, for those who are receiving the prints or interested in the prints, I made sure to get them on, like, a postcard. So it's going to be nice, thick, durable paper. Um, I figured that maybe it would, like, hold up better that way. Okay. Um, we were supposed to get them today, but because of, like, you heard the weather report at the beginning of the episode, I don't know if the mail got delayed or whatever. But sure. they'll be out this week, I promise you. And, obviously, you guys haven't really talked about your uh, chairs here now that you're oh sitting my comfortably. God. So this is the first episode we've had with new <laughs> chairs. I know you haven't heard Jordan's squeaky ass <laughs> over there. And also yep. you haven't heard my back being upset about not having something to lean against. <laughs> Adam falling backwards and knocking foam off the wall. Oh yeah. No, that all I've been yet. doing like this entire episode He's is swiveling. what I'm doing now. I'm just yeah. swiveling He's back and boy. forth. I'll tell you that Patreon money has come in a lot of handy. Hell yeah. And so, we definitely have other shit we need to buy. Oh yes. Thank you guys so fucking much. It's uh obviously you can see how grateful these guys are, so thank it, you very it much. It makes things so much easier yeah. when we can have the equipment equipment we need well right. i mean not even that it's just the fact that people care enough to give us money for mm. this Nah, fuck that no it is <laughs> like and now it's time for the most important part of the show at least if you ask cody the itunes reviews let's get it well it seems like jordan's threats are coming through because we got <laughs> we got one more five star written to from uh, DJ2012, good DJ year. DJ2012. <laughs> uh, so far, so good. Hey guys, I'm loving the podcast so far. I'm here after hearing the crossover episodes with Creeper Real, so oh. I'm a noob. Hey, welcome, DJ. I'll, I'll say that crossover we just did with them. Check it out. It's fucking amazing. It, oh, you'll they laugh just put that up, off. too. Yeah, yeah. you'll last your off, ass off, I you'll promise. You'll last your ass off, I promise you. <laughs> you'll find out what secret of the nymph is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've only scratched the surface of your backlog, but I'll be caught up in no time. Thanks oh. for the awesome stories and awkward laughs. Is uh, it awkward yeah. laughs? I think. Hopefully. Yeah, thank yeah. you, sir. Hey, thank you, DJ2012. DJ2012, you have been pardoned from the threat. That's right, but not the rest <laughs> of you Everyone else who hasn't, the threat keep, remains. Keep issuing threats, Jordan, because we're, we're getting about one written a week, so keep I issuing I will find your address, <laughs> and I will come and have a stern talking to with you. And he will leave empty can- hams cans and Newport cigarette butts all over uh, the place. Listen, yeah. I've recently transitioned to camels so. oh okay, something well. a little less harsh a little more turkish a I'm, little I'm, less i'm working on my way to quitting so i love it gets on a little it. lighter on the throat and whatnot I, love it. So. I, th- I think we this will be a conversation for between the bumbles huh i think Probably. so too i'm curious about the cigarettes now all right everybody that's gonna do it for all of us here at Bumblebutt podcast and we will see you next week and uh, that's going to do it for me. I've been Adam. That's going to do it for Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. That's going to do it for Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And as always, have a nice weekend unless it's Tuesday. Email or comment if you think I'm having a boy or a girl. <laughs>